You're listening to Market Scale Pro AV. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the opportunity to have a conversation with Paul England, the Director of Channel Solutions for SNA Displays. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know what? I'm doing really well. I'm very excited whenever I get a chance to talk to someone who works in what used to be known as digital signage, but the industry has changed so much. I don't think that's an accurate label anymore. I think that's that's sort of an understatement. Do me a favor. Tell me how you got into the industry before we get into all of the good stuff. Sure. Actually, uh, so I, I spent many, many years working in uh, commercial printing and graphics um, and everything from large format like sign printing to uh, high speed um, printing like you might print books on. And I had uh, customers like uh, Amazon and people like that, that that bought high speed presses from me. So new color and new signage and new that side of the business prior to getting to this. Found it interesting and uh, had a friend in the business and uh, met him for lunch one day and he introduced me to a few people and next thing you know, I'm working in this business. But it's certainly um, an evolutionary thing for me coming from print, which is static to uh, obviously the much more dynamic world of, uh, of digital. You know, one thing that I have always thought is as digital technology grows, you can still break it down to the bare essence it's displaying visual information. So you mentioned large print, uh, large format printing. It's really about how am I going to communicate visually? And that's a very subtle art compared to audio, you know, radio ads, or for example, it's a very subtle art that goes into how you get information into people's eyes. Oh, no, I completely agree with that. Some of it is the psychology of, of how people hear the the message from you or see the message from you or receive the message uh, is probably a better term for it. Um, you know, a, a, a great example of that. And at, at SNA, we don't really do a lot of roadside billboard. But uh, if you think of roadside billboard, when it's static, you can you can only have very simple imagery, right? So it can be one real quick message. Hi, I'm some ambulance chaser attorney. Here's my phone number. Like that's pretty much all the message that you can you can get through because you're assuming that people are driving past at 75 miles an hour and their attention should be on the car in front of them. But as we know, uh, you know, traffic here in Atlanta and traffic in a lot of places, uh, sometimes that comes to a crawl. Well, if it does, then that message can become more complicated or, or more engaging or have more information because our attention span slows way, way down and we can actually pay more attention to the things around us. So having digital signage that can react dynamically to um, conditions such as traffic speed or, um, you know, a variety of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be traffic, but um, the messages can change based on how the, the audience is interpreting it. Um, you can also have the added advantage of having the messages change by time of day. So maybe you're driving um, coffee and breakfast sandwiches in the morning, and then you're talking about, um, you know, wine and, and, uh, entrees that are at a different restaurant uh, in the afternoons or in the evening. So the message can change uh, based on time of day, based on all sorts of other things um, that may be external clues. Also, even the way we we see imagery, um, it's amazing how you can take what would normally be a static image and just have something simple like a butterfly flying through it, and it captures your attention and causes you to pay attention and it makes it pop out of the visual background noise that happens. So, um, you know, 
dynamic content doesn't necessarily mean explosions and video and and uh, you know Terminator Three. Um, it it can be very very subtle, but still work uh, amazingly well to capture our attention and just get us to pay attention to what otherwise might uh, blend into the background. And you know that idea of just being able to add one simple animated element to what otherwise would have been a static message, that's an exponential leap in technology. Tell me a little bit about just what you've seen as, you know, from your standpoint, this tech, this industry is moving forward at such a rapid pace. It's quite astonishing. Well, for sure. Uh, you know, I think when when digital signage first became a thing and, and uh, it was very expensive, it was really only picked up by uh, in the retail world, the fashion luxury brands. And then, of course, uh, in places like Las Vegas, you would get all the casinos spending the money. So it was really only people with relatively deep pockets that uh, also were, were completely covered up by noise, you know, uh, visual noise in a place like Las Vegas or in a shopping mall or wherever. Um, and so we've seen that it has developed considerably as the cost has come down, as the complexity has come down, as more integrators and more um, signage software companies and, and content management companies uh, make more sophisticated products that are a little easier to use. As we see that develop, it's becoming considerably more mainstream where, you know, before uh, you may have had a digital team. Now you just have a marketing team and digital is part of your strategy. And that's true both um, from web and email and everything else in addition to signage. Um, but certainly we're seeing that there's a tremendous growth in how companies that may not have been traditional users of this kind of technology, how that's uh, continuing to, to escalate and grow. Um, probably the biggest growth areas that we're seeing, we're still seeing considerable growth in retail, but now it's moving down to mainstream retail, where before it may have only been in a, a Louis Vuitton or a uh, or a Tory Burch or a Rolex or a coach or somebody like that. Um, now we're seeing that we're starting to pick these uh, kinds of things up in, in brands like Swatch or brands like um, uh, even Target and some of the other sort of mainstream brands are starting to pick up this kind of technology, uh, especially in places where they are fighting for the attention share and the wallet share of the customers that are around. So big growth there. Um, I would say the other place is in hospitality where um, you know, if you just think back not that long ago, uh, to, for a hotel to have a, uh, a, back then, a plasma TV hanging in the lobby that showed weather or uh, something like that, showed local events, um, you know, news headlines, that was groundbreaking. Well, that's now become invisible. So uh, hotels are having to put more elaborate displays in there, whether they be LCD video walls or now LED video. Um, but we're seeing that that uh, hotels are trying to give more information, more, more pertinent and salient information, in addition to having an avenue to put some advertising for local businesses to also drive a revenue stream. So uh, not only can it pay for itself, but it can become a revenue stream for them while still enhancing um, the, the guest uh, experience. And then the third one is transit. Um, if you've been in an airport in the last five years, it's hard to uh, hard to miss all the displays going in um, in a combination of places. One is, uh, strangely enough, especially in Europe, but it's becoming this way here. Strangely enough, airports are becoming shopping malls um, and the duty-free areas, the shopping areas are becoming 
the prime uh, revenue driver for a lot of these municipalities that own airports. Um, so that's becoming, especially in Europe more so than here, but it is happening here, a, a big piece of the puzzle for them. And so we're seeing a lot of signage going into the retail, especially in the fashion luxury brands, of course, but a lot of signage going in there. But then the other thing is uh, what the in, their industry calls FIDS and BIDS, which is uh, flight information data system and baggage information data system. Sort of the, when is my flight leaving? What gate is it going from? And then when you arrive, where's my bag? Oh, it's in, gonna be on carousel six or whatever. Um, so that information is very critical to your guest experience. But the way that gets paid for now is a lot of these displays um, either have a sponsor, so it's sponsored by one of the airlines or sponsored by um, someone. Uh, it might even be the, the visitor and tourist board of, of the local area. But the, uh, the biggest driver we're seeing, and it's growing quite fast in Europe, so I suspect we'll see it here, is where large displays will have uh, FIDS information on half or two-thirds of it. And then the remainder of that becomes real estate for uh, whoever has the um, the advertising contract. And you know, with the the MRGs or minimum rent guarantees on the uh, on the displays, it becomes a direct revenue stream for uh, for the airport and and the operating municipality, as well as adding more information and making a better experience for their guests. So I would say that those are three areas we're seeing a bunch of growth in where that would have been unheard of just a few years ago. Now it's becoming commonplace. Um, we kind of saw it pick up uh, in the case of the airports. We kind of saw it pick up in the big international airports, but now we're even seeing lots of pickup in the smaller regional and and uh, and, and uh, lower market uh, airports as well. Well, let's expand upon that a little bit. So as technology improves and the price point comes down, that actually opens this up, as you mentioned, to smaller retailers, um, more, you know, more SMBs will be able to get involved in this. Do you feel that there's sort of a natural marriage or cooperation between, say, a larger company getting some real estate on a larger on a on a smaller retailer screen as a way to sort of subsidize that cost absolutely so uh, there there's a, a variety of models and that's really what's shaken out in fact we were just out at dsc a week before last what i noticed is this year's dsc show was heavily a software show um you know it's traditionally been a little bit more of a hardware show uh, but it felt very much like a software show this year and one of the biggest categories that that I saw a lot of um, a lot of space on is the uh, the sort of the shared platform. And what I mean by that is historically you'd put a sign in. Now somebody has to go sell that advertising space, and you have the manpower to do that. And are you going to go find the right clients? And are you going to have a client that cares enough about this one space to to be in there? Well, probably not. And that was a hard sell unless you were in a Times Square or you were in a uh, Las Vegas Strip or you were in uh, downtown LA or somewhere. Um, so outside of a handful of spaces in the in the United States, um, that was a pretty hard sell. Well, what we're seeing is that people are um, aggregating all of this uh, display real estate from around the world, and uh, they're making a secondary market, such that essentially it becomes like a, a clearinghouse for the available inventory of of advertising display. Um, and where a single company can buy out, um, you know, a 30 second dominance where they're on every display that they can get their hands on across America for 30 seconds. And that wouldn't be cheap, but it would be in front of a whole lot of eyes at the right time. 
Um, those kind of things are pretty interesting. Or the uh, ability to say, okay, our A-tier advertisers are willing to pay prime dollar for the majority of the, the time and best times of day and, and uh, duration on most of these displays, but how do I fill up the rest of that? Well, I can simply tear all that off and say, these are A markets, B markets, C markets, these are A times a day, B times a day, C times a day, and have a pricing schedule where even companies that may not have participated in digital advertising before now have an inlet. They can get into that. Um, a good uh, analogy to that is if you think of uh, in a very, very traditional sense, which uh, isn't much, uh, isn't anywhere close to what it was uh, 20 or 30 years ago, but if you think of a newspaper, a uh, full page ad in a newspaper was, wow, that's well healed. Somebody spent a lot of money all the way down to the opposite end of the spectrum. A single line classified ad was just a couple of dollars. So uh, all of it was carried in the same newspaper and, and, and depending on whether you were on the front page of the paper, the back page of the paper, somewhere in the middle, a full page, a quarter page, or just one line in a classified ad, those all were in the same vehicle, which was the newspaper, but the pricing schedule was very different. We're seeing a similar model come in digital signage where the full page ad buyers, if we can stay with that analogy for a minute, but the full page ad, ad buyers are buying um, lots of uh, lots of real estate, but that still leaves plenty of classified ad space for the smaller people to participate in the system. So as we see that continue to grow, uh, the people buying the advertising get a lot of advantages, but also the people buying displays and putting them in. Um, you know, we're seeing even businesses pop up where uh, people go out and sell putting just a forty inch LCD in little mom and pop uh, cafes where. Uh, half of it is their menu board and half of it is advertising and they essentially get the menu board for free because the people putting it in sell the advertising. So um, we're seeing uh, we're seeing growth in those. It's not matured yet. Everyone's still trying to figure out exactly how that's going to work, but it's going to continue to uh, to evolve. And we'll see a lot of very interesting things pop out of that. So it's it's allowing both advertisers to participate that maybe weren't traditionally in that space, but it's also allowing people who own the real estate uh, to participate at a level they were never able to before. And all of this is enabled by the improvement and the evolution in the technology. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. If you can't display the image accurately or vividly then it you know it kind of diminishes the value of the product what can you tell me about from a project or a product standpoint that won't get either of us in trouble what can you tell me about that you're working on now that kind of has captured your attention Sure. Well, displays follow um, a, a variation of Moore's law. If, if you're familiar with Moore's law, which was, uh, you know, Intel basically saying that processing speed doubled every, I think it was 18 months. But um, what we're seeing is the pixel pitch was on a very steady decline. I, you know, when I first got into this industry, four millimeter was considered cutting edge, uh, super high res. And now that's fairly, from an indoor standpoint, fairly low end and relatively inexpensive. Um, and now the sub two millimeter is really what everyone's paying attention to. Um, and uh, just as, as a primer uh, for anyone listening that may not immediately think of this, going from a four millimeter to a two millimeter isn't twice the resolution. So it's actually four times the resolution because it's twice the, the, the pitch in both directions, right? So a fairly quantum leap in, in technology going from four millimeter being state of the art to being sub one millimeter being state of the art. We're talking. 15, 16, 20 times the resolution 
in, in a single display. So that, of course, means that the resolutions are getting better and better, but it also means that the cost for what was cutting edge just a year ago has come way down. So you're always going to pay a little bit of a premium for whatever the bleeding edge of, of, the, uh, of the knife is. Um, but that means that what was the absolute uh, most state-of-the-art thing a year, two years ago is now quite affordable. Um, so we're going to see that continue to, to develop. Right now, um, the, the finest pixel pitch we offer at SNA is uh, a 0 0.6 millimeter. And, um, and that is very bleeding edge. In fact, we have not even installed one in the United States. We have a bunch of customers ask about it and then get a little gun shy and go, we'll take the 0.9 or the 1.2 because it is quite expensive. It's right at the very top of, of uh, the, the potential cost structure there. Um, so we're not selling a lot of it, neither is anyone else. And, and to be perfectly honest, 0 0.6 is uh, it's maybe barely ready for prime time, and that's not that's not a, a, a slag on us or anyone else. Um, you know, you go to the trade shows, and and you'll you have trouble finding anyone's sub one millimeter that doesn't have a single pixel out because you're literally talking about billions of transistors and billions of solder joints uh, in a decent sized display of that. And even at six, seven, eight, nine sigmas of quality, you're still going to have a handful of uh, pixels that are that, are, that struggle. So it, I do think 0 0.6 is probably the floor for conventional SMD or surface mount device technology. I think that we will see um, a little bit more improvement in terms of the durability and the deployability of the 0 0.6 and 0 0.9 class products, 0 0.7s. Um, I think you'll see those improve. Where I do think the next big leap for us, though, uh, I think we're going to have to have a big technological shift. Um, one of the things that several companies, ourselves included, are looking at um, is some of the, the technologies uh, of chip on board or COB you may have seen. Um, chip on board is sort of like micro discrete LED, if you want to think about it that way. So it's a little bit different from SMD, where the red, green and blue are in a single package. Um, you have all of the various subpixels are actually directly on the board, um, but it also has its own challenges. It's very hard to, it's a very wasteful uh, process because you essentially have to finish the board before you can test it. And there's no way to repair a board if you have a bad pixel. So you end up chucking a lot of boards or living with a lot of failures. Um, so that technology is not quite there yet. And you can mitigate that by going to a smaller board, but then you have lots more seams and people don't like seams. So we're going to figure out how to do that real well. And so is everybody else, I'm, I'm suspecting. Although uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's another technology that's completely different from that that pops out in the next uh, next couple of years that may surprise people. But I think we will see, um, you know, 0 0.6 was also a little bit of a sweet spot in that if you think of a 1080p 65-inch uh, LCD, that's about... 0.6 millimeter pixel pitch on an LCD. So that gets us a direct view LED that can be seamless and be large and whatever else at effectively the same resolution that you would get from, from some LCD product. Uh, so that was a big technological leap for, for the whole industry. They're still quite fragile because if you think of each sub-pixel or, or each pixel package being smaller than a grain of sand but having uh, as many as 10 solder joints inside of it and three sub-pixels, it, it's really a little bit mind-bending to think of all that technology going into something that you would swallow and never know that was was there. You know, large, scarcely larger than a than a grain of salt or a, or a fleck of pepper, um, and it has all those joints in it. So, technology-wise, it's a it's a 
massive feat of microengineering to do that. I do think that we're going to see a lot more technology in, in pixel pitch, but I also think the next big thing that we're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of earth shaking on is uh, bit depth going to more color. Um, so 24 bit color or some sometimes referred to as eight bit color because it's eight bits per channel, eight bits, red, green, and blue. Um, that's 16.7 million colors, and that's what most all computer monitors, that's what we generally use all the time, and that's still the standard in most digital signage, but we're getting asked for 10-bit color or 30-bit total. Um, and that broadens the color palette somewhat considerably, but not necessarily in a way that makes it better viewing. Um, and so some of that's a little bit buzzwordy, just like with digital cameras, we went through megapixels and with inkjet printers, we went through DPI and, and uh, all of these other things that, um, you know, you get really fired up about a spec that may or may not help you. Uh, so we're going to see probably a little bit of a bit depth war come over the next um, probably 18 months, uh, some of which will be beneficial and some of which won't be. The one thing bit depth does for you that that uh, instead of just broadening the color palette, which is certainly part of it, but I think the, the biggest piece of that is um, how it smooths gradients. So if you have a, a color gradient, it actually makes for less blocky or less choppy color gradient, um, which is important, especially for brands that use a lot of gradient in their branding. Um, so we'll see a demand for that. We'll see technology that allows you to, to uh, display that, although it makes the file sizes bigger, it makes the the content creation a little more complicated. There, there's a lot of downsides, but there's a little bit of upside there. And I think we're going to see that grow. Um, and then really other than that, I think one of the biggest things is just getting the cost down and getting the robust uh, lifespans up. Um, you know, right now, some of the better brands of LED, ours included, um, you know, only use 100,000 hour LEDs. You're going to get a good decade out of these things, um, you know, where uh, LCD, it's hard to find LCD that can boast that kind of longevity. So. I think we're going to see these become more robust and uh, more deployable and easier to install and the costs go down. And I think that's true about any technology, but it's certainly true in ours. So in the Pro-AV industry, the, the way that you name drop when you want to brag about something is not some famous artist that you worked with or some big concert tour that you did, but it's actually an installation. I'm going to give you an opportunity right here, and it's not bragging because I'm asking you to do this. You're just providing information. Tell me a project that you've worked on or that you're working on that you know you're going to drop in conversation and go, oh, yeah, that project? Yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I think some of the projects that we're really, uh, that we're really excited about, um, last fall we installed uh, the highest resolution display in Times Square um, it's, uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say the customer, but everyone will know it's the NFL experience. It's at 20 times square. It's basically the entire Northeast corner of Times square, um, about 26 million pixels. Uh, that's a humongous display more than 18,000 square feet of eight millimeter outdoor. Uh, it's just a huge display. And it, when it went live, um, uh, most of the people around there took notice and, and we're, we're quite proud of that one. Um, and, as you know, the keeping up with the Joneses is no more strong than New York City. So uh, when that went up, we had several developers say, we want one just like it, or we want one a little bit bigger and a little higher <laughs> resolution, because of course you do. Uh, so stay tuned. There's going to be some more fun stuff going up in Times Square. We're already, um, you know, a, a little more than half of all the displays in Times Square are uh, 
our SNA displays already. So, um, you know, we're, we're very proud of what we have there. In fact, our offices are at 1500 Broadway. We're right in the middle of Times Square. So we're, we're quite proud of that. On the indoor side, um, the, the two that I hear the most about happen to be across the street from each other. And they're both uh, at Salesforce. Uh, 50 Fremont and 350 Mission um, is directly across the street from each other in San Francisco. Um, we hear a lot about those two displays just because they get so much play on on YouTube or Vimeo or some of the other uh, social media platforms. Um, you know, we're quite proud of that. Salesforce is a great customer for us. Um, you know, they're uh, they're very demanding, but we love demanding customers, and they do uh, they do a lot of really great projects. Um, and in fact, uh, what I love about 350 Mission, and this actually harkens back a little bit to what we talked about before, we're seeing that building developers are wanting to put more displays in their lobbies, not only because it makes their building more interesting, but, um, you know, this California especially, but a lot of states require or at least request in some places that a, a percentage of your construction budget is set aside for artwork. Well, traditionally, that was a a statue or a tapestry or a painting or whatever that people see once and then kind of ignore and it blends into the background. Um, what we're seeing is that uh, a lot of places are now putting in great big beautiful displays and commissioning digital artists to make amazing artwork um, that uh, you know effectively gets treated as a as a digital art museum. What's great about that is the content can continue to change. So you can commission more artwork or even, um, you know, find a local art school and have a contest to, to you know, give somebody $5,000 towards their tuition if they're the winning artist making amazing content. Or there's all sorts of creative ways to get beautiful content on these displays. And it, uh, it provides a, an interesting backdrop for people when they're coming in and out of the building, but it also... Um, keeps it lively and interesting where a single painting might blend into the background after only a few months. So we're seeing a lot of growth in that and sort of the corporate lobby space. Um, and of course, Salesforce is, uh, you know, they were some of the people that were right out front on, on that. They were some of the, the first and biggest and most beautiful displays. Um, and we're, we're in the process of doing quite a few more of those in Salesforce offices around the world. So they're a great customer for us as well. Well, now I have yet one more reason to visit San Francisco. Today, I've had a conversation with Paul England, the Director of Channel Solutions for SNA Displays. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time today. This has been really cool. Sure. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 